Well, this has been another busy week. The government has announced its renewable energy strategy. The oil price has moved firmly above $141 a barrel. And I addressed the Lancashire High Flyers in Blackburn last Wednesday. Hello, this is Anthony Day talking to you again about sustainable business, staying in business and staying in profit. On Thursday, I led a session at the London Low Carbon Innovation Exchange. The theme was Best Practice for Environmental Champions and thanks to Martha Rowley of BG Group, Francesca Nesbitt of Spellthorn Borough Council and Jenna Hiley at Peterborough City Council for adding their ideas and experience to a wide-ranging discussion. The Low Carbon Innovations Exchange is a major event and I spoke to a number of people who took part. First of all, John Neem, whose idea it was in the first place. So what's the, what's the motivation, what's the objective of running a low carbon event? Just really, I think there's lots of people now who are charged with helping their organisations reduce their emissions, but lots of people are new at those roles, um, and a huge amount of experience they all have individually, and it's just collect and collate that experience to, to everyone's benefit. So it's really just to tap into a, a kind of collective experience of, of lots of individuals who perhaps in their own organisations are, um, uh, are maybe fairly, um, uh, might be on their own in terms of uh, uh, developing these initiatives within their own organisation, but put them together with other people facing similar challenges in other organisations, and then you get the synergy of, uh, of, of collective experience. Good, okay. Now you say you've run it five times, that's because you ran it round the country, is that correct? Yes, we started off in, um, in London uh, last June and then again in, in Harrogate last October. Uh, it soon became apparent to us we had people flying in from, uh, from Northern Ireland to go to the Harrogate event. Not a great idea in this market to uh, for, for make it very difficult for people to, uh, to get there. So really just creating a national network of, uh, of events, taking, out, taking the concept out into the regions to, uh, uh, to enable to reach a wider audience. So Harrogate happens again this year. What's the date for that? Twenty uh, second of, uh, of October. Right. Uh, is the um, uh, is the next event in Harrogate, and, and one of the new dimensions for the Harrogate event is we're also interested, as well as sharing best practice between end users, people who, who are charged with reducing emissions in their own organisations. We're really interested in the sector of, uh, of new technologies coming onto the market um, and helping uh, quicken the pace in which new ideas get delivered to the market. So we're running something called the Clean Tech uh, Innovation Forum, which is looking at bringing research, institution, uh, research institutes, um, uh, academics, uh, venture capitalists, entrepreneurs, people from the sector, looking at, for example, renewable energy and technologies, bringing those people together to form collaborations and partnerships to quicken the pace in which good ideas are brought to market. Right. And that again runs alongside the um, uh, the Harrogate uh, event in um, uh, on twenty second of twenty uh, second October. Right, and there's more to this than just a series of conferences because you have the low carbon network, don't you, and your newsletter. That's right. We've got we're trying to build a uh, we have built uh, an online community of around about seven thousand individuals, which um, has grown from nothing in um, about eighteen months ago. Just after the uh, Stern report, we created the uh, the, uh, the online network, and that's grown. Uh, over those 18 months to just over 7,000 now. And we, um, uh, the, the events are the opportunity for the members of the network to meet each other 
but we also uh, encourage people to share best practice on a more ongoing basis. We publish uh, a weekly bulletin of case studies and interviews, again all drawn from the network, so that we're um, uh, tapping into this knowledge base and this, uh, this um, experience and sharing that back out to the network uh, on a weekly basis through the, uh, through the Low Carbon Innovation Bulletin. Right, well thank you very much for that. I think I'm right in saying the website is carbon-innovation.com. That's correct. Thank you, John. Going round the exhibition stands, I next met Lynn Roberts from Coherent Research. Well, I'm with Lynn Roberts of Coherent Research this morning here at the Low Carbon Innovation Exchange. Lynn, why are you here? I'm here to, uh, to present our system for energy data collection, which is designed to collect data from all types of metering in complex establishments. So this is to help people cut their energy or manage their energy usage? Well, I mean, the, fir the first step in managing and, and reducing your energy is to understand where it's, where it's going and where it's going in detail. And that means you need to have uh, a great deal of metering in place, and you also need to collect the data from that, me from that meter. Right, and I see that you're not just metering electricity, because on your chart here you've got the telephone, the mobiles, and the water, as well as the gas. Well, the, 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 telephones and the, the telephones and the mobiles are just illustrations of different ways that we can get at the metering data. But essentially, we're looking at all, all types of services that are provided in buildings, I mean, whether they're water, gas, electricity, heat, or, or steam, or whatever it is. You still need to understand where and when it's being used. You need to understand how it's being used half hour by half hour. You need to be able to convey that information to everybody within your organisation. So, Great, well thank you very much for that. If people want to know more, have you got a website? Yes, you can, you can look at us on www.coherent-research.co.uk Lynn, thank you very much. Thank you very much. The Low Carbon Innovations Exchange is an international event. So I next spoke to Pascal Bouquet, Directeur Commercial Entreprise from Metnext of Paris. Metnext is an organization which provides its clients with the necessary tools and expertise to create and structure weather risk management products. So I asked him to explain a bit more. So your, your company is Metnext yeah. and what sort of organizations are your customers? Our customers are big, mainly big companies in uh, energy sector. Um, first of all producers, secondly uh, distributors and, uh, and the third point is um, big consumers of energy. And so by modeling weather patterns you can help them predict? Yeah, predict okay. and for sure save. Right, and you were telling me that you work all over the world? Yeah. So, this is a truly international conference, you've come here from Paris, uh -huh. and uh, is this the first of this series of events that you've been to? No, in fact, it's um, the third one this year. Mm -hmm. We attend in Essen through Energy and Work, yes. and uh, two months ago we attend in Birmingham. Oh, right, yes. To the uh, previous conference. We have another event in, in Harrogate, uh, in the north of England, at the end yeah. of the year. Will you be there? Probably, probably, and my colleague uh, attending uh, uh, the warmer uh, in Warmer um, two weeks ago in Miami. Oh, right. Yes. Oh, right. Well, well thank you very much for that. Uh, if people want to find out more, I'm sure you have a website. 
Yeah, of course. And it is www.metnextmetnext.com. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Having analysed the weather and worked out the likely energy demand, we need to make sure that we use as little as possible. We need a technological solution. So I moved on to another stand. So, Rick Wallace from NEC Computers, and you're making a big thing here of thin clients. Now, what's that, and why is it here at Low Carbon Innovation Exchange? Okay, well, um, the actual product that we've got, the solution we've got, is something that is based on a thin client technology. It's actually called Virtual PC Centre. Right. It's the next generation on from thin clients. Now, I don't know how technical you are. Well, let's assume that we don't know what a thin client is. Okay. Um, effectively, what a thin client is, is rather than the traditional desktop, or laptop machine that you would have that has all the technology inbuilt. What we've actually done with thin clients is we've moved some of the processing power, the CPU, the RAM, and the storage, the hard disk drive, from the desktop to a central point and we're now running on a server. This allows us then to be able to send mouse movement and keyboard strokes from a desk-based device back to a server where all the computing is done. We then send back to the desktop completed um, graphics screen and the output and the display that's actually onto the TFT monitor. So what do you actually have on the desk? You don't have a, a PC? No, nope. I'll just show you the, one of the products here. It's a very, very small compact unit. A little box, yes. Very small box. Um, a screen, a keyboard and a mouse. Screen, keyboard and mouse. So the box in effect um, is simply managing a connection back to the central point right. to the server and our little box which is what differs from other people's little boxes I suppose is there's a second processor in here and what it actually allows us to do is to send back not completed screens of display of what you're going to display on the desk but it allows us to transmit compressed video data to the desk-based device that then decodes and accelerates it like you would with a normal PC. Right. So some of the difficulties in the past with thin client, despite the benefits of reduced power consumption, centralised data security, centralised management, simply you, you manage the server rather than the desktop devices. Um, with the virtual PC centre, it allows you to retain the power of the desktop PC while gaining all the other benefits that you would get with a traditional thing. Right. right, okay. But the, the key thing, of course, is that you're reducing carbon footprints by reducing energy consumption by having no processing power or limited processing power on the desktop. Absolutely. So that's why you're a green exhibition today. Absolutely. Um, okay. Figures from IDC and Gartner say that the industry average power consumption for a normal PC is around 120 watts. The actual figure that you'll find is dependent on the age of a traditional PC. The newer it is, the likelihood is that you'll be uh, consuming less power. One of these virtual PC desk-based units um, will consume 20 watts of power maximum. Right. Also, what we've got to bear in mind is um, that we are running the PC session now on a server. So we need to bear in mind the power consumption of the server as well. Yes. When you bear in mind the server, the desk-based unit with virtual PC centre, you have a maximum combined um, power consumption of about 35 watts. 
Right, so that's even less than the desktop, a lot less than a desktop yes. unit. Than well, even, even the latest version of the desktops, which run at about 50 watts. Yes. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, as I say, we're going to publish this, and if people want to find out more, your website is? www.nec-computers.com Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. There's a lot more to the Low Carbon Innovation Exchange than the exhibition, although that was quite extensive this year. There is a whole range of seminars, roundtable discussions and case studies. And here's an example. This is Nigel Wilkinson, who led a session on T-Mobile's experience of smart metering. Well, Nigel Wilkinson from T-Mobile has been telling us uh, in a case study how his organisation installed 6,000 smart meters and reduced the organization's carbon footprint. Nigel, can you first of all explain to those of us who may not know what a smart meter actually is? Sure. A smart meter, very uh, basically, it's a bit like the meter that you have at home to measure your energy usage, uh, either for electricity or gas, uh, but it's a very sophisticated uh, piece of equipment. It transmits data of your energy readings. Um, it transmits them um, wirelessly to a data collection centre, and generally that's done on a half-hourly basis. So for large energy users like T-Mobile, the energy is transmitted to a data collection company who then pass that information on to the electricity company, and the electricity company can then send us bills based on accurate uh, meter readings. So you've got very detailed information, whereas before, what did you have? Before we used to pay for our energy on estimated bills, and we've identified that as a result of installing the smart meters, we're now paying a lot less than we were before. So what did it cost you to put in 6,000 smart meters? Uh, the capital investment was about £2.6 million, and there's an ongoing annual cost, operational cost of about £100,000. Okay, and have you ended up paying less money for your power than you were before? Uh, yes, um, because we're actually paying for actual energy usage rather than estimated usage, we've had a reduction there. Um, smart meters don't actually reduce your energy usage, but what, it, what they do do, they give you very accurate information about your energy usage. So for example, when we've installed new, more modern equipment onto sites, we've immediately been able to see the electrical energy efficiency of that new equipment. Um, and we've just installed some new uh, technical equipment uh, which has actually had a 31% reduction in energy usage just because uh, of the way that the more modern equipment is being manufactured in a more energy efficient way. So you've certainly fulfilled your business case? Definitely. Uh, we've actually exceeded the business case. Uh, we've had a lot of additional benefits that we hadn't realised. Uh, for example, when a piece of equipment becomes faulty and there's a spike in the energy usage, we're able to identify that much more quickly and carry out quick intervention, uh, which prevents disruption to the business. So, for example, if uh, we've got problems with some telecoms equipment and you're on your mobile phone and the telecoms equipment becomes faulty and gradually falls over or stops working, you will lose that signal if you, ha you happen to be uh, passing the vicinity on that cell, uh, whereas we're getting very early warnings with the smart metering when there's some sort of electrical problem and we can send out an engineer and rectify it very quickly. Okay. Now the carbon reduction commitment is on everybody's lips, or on a lot of lips anyway, people who are using uh, medium to large amounts of electricity. Is this going to mean that more people are going to need smart meters? 
Uh, I certainly think that um, smart meters is a very good way of being able to demonstrate to central government that you are a responsible organisation, you have your energy usage under control and under carbon reduction you will be able to give um, central government accurate energy usage data which is part of the carbon reduction commitment requirements. Did you say, in fact, that there will be penalties if you can only estimate it? Absolutely. Um, that's my understanding, that uh, if you can only submit um, guesstimated or estimated readings, you will be financially penalised under the carbon reduction commitment. So a lesson there for those to whom it applies. Indeed. Nigel Wilkinson from T-Mobile, thank you very much. Thank you. So if you've done everything you can to monitor your energy, to control your energy and to reduce your energy, what do you do next? Maybe carbon offsetting. Right, so okay. So you're Naomi Kelt from CO2 Balance, and you've got to stand here with a big notice saying fight climate change. Yes. So, how are you fighting climate change? Basically, we help businesses to understand their impact on climate change and to reduce that impact by a number of methods. So, going into businesses, helping them understand what their carbon footprint is helping them to put together management programs, set targets, um, telling them how they can reduce their emissions through usually easy, very easy methods internally. And then we also supply companies with offset. But we are very unique within the carbon offsetting market because we own all our own projects. So we know where the money's going, we know exactly what's happening, we can see it, and they can go and see it if they want to. Um, so that's what we do. Okay. There is quite a lot of scepticism about offsetting though, isn't there? There is. Are your projects UK-based or do you do them uh, overseas? Uh, uh, the majority of our projects at the moment are based in Africa. Right. And the scepticism within the offset industry, I think, is very understandable because there's a lot of businesses out there who are doing the wrong thing or falling into sort of the pitfalls of what what is the wrong way to go with carbon offsetting. Yeah. One of the, the main sort of selling points of our company is that the additionality aspect. So all the projects we invest in have to have a minimum of 50% carbon finance to get the project off the ground. So we know that without our input, they wouldn't be happening. Whereas, you know, a lot of other projects, they just have one to two percent sort of carbon finance okay. and they probably realistically happen anyway <laughs> right but are these projects actually replacing other projects which are um, emitting carbon Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the whole carbon offset theory is that you go you go to an area, you take a, ba a baseline, you, you kind of set a boundary around an area, say, and you say, how much energy are they using at the moment, whether that's from burning wood or using kerosene lamps or just using inefficient equipment, and you set that baseline. And then once you put new technology into that area, you re-measure the, the amount of energy they're using. And, and that is the carbon offset. So and they stop using the old systems yeah, like well, kerosene absolutely. and wood. And, and, if, and right, if they okay. haven't, then the reduction will be minute. Yes, exactly. You know, so exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately, you, know, you can't really escape that. If you're measuring it and monitoring it correctly then you, you know the real reduction is there in numbers and, and that's that's what the offset is right well thank you very much carolyn have you got anything to add to that um, no, I think that Naomi's hit all the points really. I think the thing that excites us the most is this additionality element of it, that the projects really wouldn't take place without the funding. 
and that our relationship with the end users is so strong so we work very closely with the elders in these villages to put the projects in place so we know the technologies we're giving them they want and we know they're going to use them um, one, that, one really exciting uh, project that we do is with solar ovens where we were placed, they were using the sun obviously to, to cook their food we're replacing the requirement for charcoal um, the women have really embraced this to, uh, to realise they can now cook all day for free and this has given them a new um, entrepreneurial uh, sense of being because they can now sell food on the side of the roads and to the other villagers uh, without having to go and source the, the charcoal and buy it so it's simply a cost effective so they're going over and above expectations it's not just about offset there's very very strong um, social responsibility benefits around the projects which is why it gets so passionate about it well that's great that's very interesting thank you so that's Carolyn Whistlecraft and Naomi Kelt from co2balance.com so I don't need to tell you what the website is <laughs> co2balance.com finally I spoke to Ashley Lodge who is Corporate Responsibility Manager of HarperCollins Publishers and a founder member of the Publishers Green Network. He explained to me what his particular industry sector is doing as far as environment, carbon footprint and so on are concerned. I am the chair of the Publishers Green Network. The group was set up, I think around this time last year, the bookseller, the big trade magazine, had uh, a green seminar. And a few of us got chatting about that afterwards, and he said, but what about some kind of more grassroots group who could look to support other publishers? It was basically myself, Toby Sordo from Alistair Sordo Publishing, uh, Helen Coyle, who is from Bobber, and Becca Cohen, who's now at National Portrait Gallery, and they're publishing on. The four of us came together and said, why don't we set up this group? And we, we publicised what our ideals were, and that was that it should be an information sharing network where people from each of the various publishing houses could come along, share their story, and we would set up quarterly meetings. And each meeting we'd focus on a particular area on the environment relevant to publishing, and we'd sometimes invite external speakers, and we'd also get people to do in-house case studies. And we convened the first meeting, it was October last year. And that's how it by and large works. People come along to have had myself, the next meeting Toby saw they did a case study. Then we had Mark Goff, who's at Reed Elsevier. So it's usually every meeting, so it's kind of sharing information that we, we get as big companies and part of the knowledge we have. with smaller companies who really might want to do the right thing but don't have the time and resource. Well, I think I've broken it down into the three main things, product, operations and people. I think products, first of all, we make a physical product, books. Books come from trees. And trees, as we all know, are so important given that the CO2 out there. So that's the big thing, certainly I'm going to Hart Collins now, it's about sustainable forestry and or use of recycled paper. The idea of FSC is that it's not just purely we're looking at the carbon footprint of it and sustainability, but we're looking at about the social issues, that they work in conjunction with the local indigenous population and respect their kind of customs or rights and rituals. And all the flora and fauna. So that's on the kind of on the on the product side. So we kind of share information on that. Then on the operations side, it's a thing you can do related to your operations to reduce down the carbon footprint of that. So, for example, as part of News Corporation, we declare that our carbon footprint will be all of our energy from electricity and gas, business air travel, fleet, and refrigerant loss. That will contribute to our carbon footprint. So, we've worked hard to reduce energy consumption, water consumption. 
um, we've increased our recycling. We now recycle 97% of our waste in our Glasgow warehouse. The other big thing is our returns. Returns is a big issue in publishing. You know, this is a huge issue that I'm really, it's my personal campaign at the moment to find ways because to me, really, we, no book should ever end up being shredded. Now, my thing is working, therefore, with companies like BookAid, Book International, BookLink, and all these other charities to see if there's ways that we can take them from when they get to the returns depot, but we intercept them and we find books that are appropriate for their market and put them into the closed markets. So, because I also uh, oversee all the charity initiatives, I looked after big charity projects in Ghana. So, we sent 23,000 education books that were in perfectly good nick, but had, because the curriculum had changed here, they weren't so appropriate here. But then, because we, we sent them out to Africa and we did a sample and said, Guys, can you tell us if this is culturally appropriate? And they said, Yes, these ones will work here. So, we sent 23,000 out, we did training, and they became a very useful resource and they were saved from being pulled. And then, on the people front, it's very much about engaging staff and lots of different ways that you can get staff on board. We can switch off campaigns, we run um, a website uh, where you can go and point to prize, you log all your green actions, your green actions get points, you have this artificial reef, and you, the more points you get, the more wildlife you have swimming around your reef, and we can out calculate points every quarter and they win eco prizes. And I have eco champions for people who go above and beyond the green pool due to they get a bottle of organic champagne when they're nominated to me and I check that they are good and green as they tell me they are. Um, and it's just getting out there and disseminating and giving out clear information. So that people, I mean, people are all on board. We've got a very passionate bunch, you know, in, in, in the Harper Collins. Everyone's on board with the environment agenda. It's, it's very much, okay, what can we do to really make this meaningful? What are the concrete things we can do? So it's one thing to be aware, but it's then turning it into action. So our kind of green brand is Think Green, Be Green. It's one thing to, to think it, but the other thing to do it. So it's to encourage people, and therefore we have these green ambassadors in every division who help ensure that recycling rates are up as much as they can, that they're going around to encourage everyone to switch off, we're going to switch off campaign. And all of those, those whole raft of things. So those are the three big areas in which I kind of focus in on. I, I think fundamentally we do it because it's the right thing to do. And I think there is, I think company, I think the big thing that's going to happen in this century is going to be CSR really embedded in business. And CSR really is important because if they, I think various statistics have shown that uh, employees know that they work for a company that cares about them and the environment and their social responsibilities as a company that they want to work for longer. If you've got an, a, a happy employees and they want to put more into the company, it's a virtuous circle. Uh, the, tr the trends in um, ethical consumer books have jumped from double from something like 15 million, was it 15 billion in 2001 to something like 29 billion, something like that in 2005. I can't remember now. But I mean, the, the, the trend is going up. Whether that might be affected with the current economic climate, I don't know. But um, I think it's definitely it, 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 it does weigh get you competitive advantage. Yes. But I think, I think the, the driving thing has got to be behind that you really want to do it and you care about doing it. And the competitive advantage is the result of that, not the reason for doing it. So there's a very small selection of the people who took part in this year's London Low Carbon Innovations Exchange. As you can tell, there's a wide range of participants. There's a lot of interest. 
After all, this is the topic of the moment. If you want to talk to me about sustainable business, about staying in business and staying profitable, and dealing with your carbon footprint, and climate change, and the energy crisis, then give me a call. My number is 01904 654 986, and my website is anthony-day.com. I look forward to talking to you, and maybe we'll meet at the next Low Carbon Innovation Exchange in Harrogate. Bye for now.